Production support comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. Also, Premier Ortho, a division of Premier Healthcare, helping people living with injuries and chronic back, spine, or joint pain to get back on their feet. Premier Ortho, 333-1933. Online at mypremierortho.com. Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times, along with co-host Mary Catherine Carmichael. And today's topic is the new Indiana Lifeline Law, which provides legal immunity to uh, intoxicated minors who help their friends get medical attention. We have three guests with us in the studio. Justin Kingsolver is here. He is the outgoing outgoing IU student body president who helped lobby for the bill uh, in the state general assembly. Captain Joe Qualters of the Bloomington Police Department is with us, and as is R.J. Woodring, Assistant Director for IU Student Life and Learning. If you have questions or comments, you can phone us at 855-0811 in Bloomington or 877-285-9348. And the web address is wfiu.org slash noon edition. Hi, Bob. Hey, Mary Catherine. Thanks for being here. Uh, I want to start with Justin today because I I think you were uh, really instrumental in getting this law pushed through the legislature. I know Vice Simpson carried the, the bill in the Senate, and she's she was very um, complimentary of the work that you and the other students did, as was uh, the attorney general. Uh, so it was a bipartisan bill. I think it made it through the Senate 47 to nothing, which is kind of unusual in this day and age. So why don't you take us back to the beginning? Why did you think this was an important uh, bill to, to carry and a law to pass? Sure. Yeah. Uh, I mean, one of the first things we as student government candidates do is talk to all of the fraternity and sorority presidents and the leaders of all the major student organizations on campus. And when I was asking them what their biggest concerns were, it was any kind of interaction with uh, any kind of university or or police authority dealing with the issue of alcohol. Um, Whether or not they should have been concerned about that, they were. And we were finding that, um, you know, on some campus throughout Indiana, um, every single year for the past decade, there had been an alcohol-related death that was it was just purely overconsumption of alcohol. So we thought that there was something that we could, uh, we could play a major role in fixing. So we campaigned on it uh, last March, I guess March of 2011. Went around, got uh, a lot of uh, input from the Interfraternity Council, from administrators, from uh, you know, people that really deal with the issue on a day-to-day basis. And then we took it to the State House. And uh, like you said, it had a lot of bipartisan support. It was carried by Vice Simpson and then Jim Merritt, the majority leader, um, the Republican leader in the, in the Senate. So it was great. Did you have a model for this or did you guys just create this from all the discussions you had with various people? Well, there are, there are 12 states that have this type of legislation already. Um, we, we kind of followed uh, Penn State, whose student government ran on this uh, about four years ago. But it took them about four years to do what we uh, somehow were fortunate to manage to do in, in one year. Um, so – the, the model of going through the university process first and then taking it uh, to the state level. Um, we, we kind of, I don't want to say we copied, but we kind of copied off of mm-hmm. Pennsylvania. That's all right. <laughs> well, uh, Joe Qualters, Captain Qualters, uh, you know, and he was worried about having contact with you or the students were. <laughs> not me. But no, no not, not Justin. But, but uh, from a police perspective, uh, is this a law that you support? I think this is good legislation. Mm-hmm. I think that um, – while I understand the concerns, I think that any student would have some concern about having an arrest or some type of a blemish on their record that might have an adverse effect on their future. Uh, that being said, I think that many times what you might uh, consider is that that may not be as well-founded as maybe what their concerns were because our biggest concern obviously would be the health, safety, and well-being of somebody that we encounter who's obviously having some type of an emergency or medical crisis. So it would not necessarily be limited even to – all of the provisions of this law, but any type of a situation, our first and foremost concern would be getting that person the help that they need. Uh, What is interesting, though, is that uh, by having this legislation, you also have the publicity that will come with it, and those concerns may not be um, as as much or as high as they maybe have been because they'll feel like they have something to fall back on Mm -hmm. that, uh, that will protect them. 
um, in the event that they find themselves in a situation like this. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, people who uh, – young people in particular – well, no, probably everybody who consumes way too much alcohol. It happens a lot with young people of, of college age, but it happens at various ages. Don't have the best judgment anyway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So perhaps if something will, will click in their mind to think, oh, man, it, I, I need to get help for this person. And I remember something about this new law. So, And when we were in the state legislature, the, the – issue that got brought up most um, in an adverse way was, you know, this will just lead to more underage drinking. Um, but we, we had two different uh, decision points that we talked about. There's the coherent decision of I drink or I don't drink. And then three hours later, there's the coherent or the incoherent decision of do I call an ambulance or not? And we don't want there to ever be any kind of doubt whatsoever. It's not that students, maybe I misspoke, it's not that students are scared of police. It's just yeah. when they're in that situation, uh, a lot of times that when they see flashing lights and you add that to the situation, it just makes it uh, really intimidating, and we wanted mm-hmm. to allay any concerns that they had. Mm-hmm. If it was up to you, um, Captain Qualters, would you extend this to people who aren't minors? I think that um, if you're talking about the preservation of life, uh, getting someone the medical attention mm-hmm. that they need, I'm not sure that there need to be age parameters set on that. Um, and that's one of the interesting things that I noticed about the bill or some of the um, follow-up information that I was reading about it is that it does not appear – it seems like it's more geared toward uh, e- either a college uh, mm-hmm. setting or, you know, especially since uh, college students are the ones who put this forward and, and, and threw their support behind it. Um, but it really should, uh, you know, transcend to all ages. Uh, and again – even in the absence of it being specifically addressed or uh, even if that's the underlying reason, again, I would fall back on our belief that our primary responsibility for anyone in a medical crisis would be for us to get them help, assuming, of course, that we're there. Mm-hmm. And many times we do get dispatched on a um, co-run, if you will, with an ambulance to that might be dispatched to a, a situation such as this. So we would probably be there, and I would say that we would probably – still do the same thing that this bill calls for, even mm-hmm. in the, uh, even if it's juveniles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so taking into account the fact that this person's trying to, it's kind of like the Good Samaritan law. You're trying to mm-hmm. do the right thing, so you don't want to be uh, put in a position, even if, if you also have been consuming alcohol in excess. Exactly. Uh, you don't want to be put in a position then when you are punished um, for trying to do the right thing. It makes exactly. sense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, right, okay, our phone number's again, 855-0811 in Bloomington. And 877-285-9348 outside of the local area. The web address is wfiu.org slash noon edition. Um, RJ, the uh, campus already had something called PACT. Is that yeah, correct? The, uh, the Hoosier PACT. And it's what uh, Justin was referring to earlier. It's the student's first initiative towards getting uh, what ultimately became the Lifeline Law. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the PACT standing for Proactive Care and Treatment. Uh, the idea there being that students, uh, again, getting to this notion uh, that Justin was referring to, uh, in, that, in that situation where there's maybe some incoherence after they've been drinking, you know, what am I going to do? Should I call for assistance or not? Uh, you know, the students made a very good point that we want to take away that fear that they have, that split second where they're, they're hesitating about their own you know, culpability and what you refer to as a good Samaritan policy. So they put forth the, um, the Hoosier Pact and spent a lot of time last summer working with the uh, with the dean of students so that that was the initial um the initial version of this and really the idea of being providing educationally based sanctions so in moving from that disciplinary um punitive to much more of an educational focus which we have in the judicial system as it is on campus but putting that focus primary say a little bit more about that what would be the uh, the educational focus of this just i mean you wouldn't sure. punish people but you might have them go to a class or something? Sure, yeah. Right now, uh, students, um, underage, and talk, uh, underage drinking tickets, minors in possession, things like that, when they go through the campus judicial system, they have to have a, uh, an intervention screening. So um, looking at this maybe on a more of an organizational level, uh, if something happened with a fraternity or sorority, uh, you might be bringing in a, a speaker or spending some more time on bystander intervention training, which really was what th- this kind of gets to, which is uh, in the moment when something is going on, somebody actually taking the initiative to step in and, and, and take a – uh, take action, whether it's call 911. So teaching and training students on how to do that. So you know, whatever the situation merits to that specific case is creating an educational focus towards that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to sort of broaden the conversation about the, the alcohol culture and the, the difficulty in a college town of really monitoring this and keeping people safe. I mean, how the, the need for a law like this is uh, – 
you know, a lot of communities, you wouldn't think about it. But if you're in a big college town like we are, mm-hmm. um, you know, as I think Justin said, there's a, an alcohol-related death on many campuses, ours included, every year from people that just drink way too much. And then they, mm-hmm. it kills them. So, Joe, I want to turn to you first, I guess. How, how I know you're the city police department, but how much of your time and effort is spent on alcohol-related issues and particularly alcohol-related issues as it relates to the campus? I think in general, when we look at even some of our serious crime and that type of thing, um, probably a conservative estimate that most of us who have worked this for quite some time would probably say anywhere from 75 to 80 percent of almost all that we do is somehow substance abuse related, whether that be alcohol or drugs. Uh, And that can go anywhere from a robbery or a burglary or, you know, clearly an operating while intoxicated. I mean, it's almost inherent in, in just that definition in and of itself. But I think that we would look at, you know, most or much of what we do somehow has a basis in substance abuse. So, you know, when you look at even just the college setting, needless to say, a great deal of our time is spent dealing with those types of issues, whether it be the disturbances that come from uh, overconsumption, uh, whether it be, um, uh, you know, even sometimes sexual assaults have a basis in the overconsumption of alcohol mm-hmm. and that type of thing. So, uh, I would think child and abuse, abuse and neglect also. Exactly. And, and again, that kind of broadens it even beyond the, the college focus that we're, we were just kind of talking about. But, but clearly, um, much of what we do has some kind of a basis in alcohol and drug use or mm-hmm. abuse. Yeah. Well, I think what impresses me uh, perhaps the most about you know, Justin's bill, the bill that you passed, pushed through, and, and the work that was done on campus is that it takes an issue that you're not going to solve. It. I mean, I don't believe, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I went to college a long time ago, and there was a lot of drinking when I went to college. Well, prohibition didn't happened. solve it. I mean, no, what do you I think? Mean, <laughs> it's, not, it's part of our culture. I mean, it is so, what it is. So, you, you know, you, you guys took the approach and said, okay, uh, if we're not, if people are still going to drink, how can we keep people safer when they mm-hmm. drink? Correct. Right. Yeah. And our approach was that sunshine is always the best disinfectant. You know, it's going to happen. So let's let's bring it out into the open. Mm-hmm. And I think that the dean of students' office and all of the uh, law enforcement authorities that we worked with that was their main goal. Also, was to to bring this issue uh, to the forefront. And you know, when we have a, a walk through at a fraternity or sorority, don't don't hide everything. Just keep keep the the party going as it was, so we can make sure it's it's being safe. So I guess uh, our main goal was to was to show that it's it's not, not it, we were not we're not trying to say that it's okay to do this, but mm-hmm. if you're going to do it, don't don't do it in a reckless way, and let's as a community address this in an honest way. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the biggest success of this this whole process. Mm-hmm. Captain Colders, have you seen in your career several examples of this where you felt a life was in danger or or was lost, but that could have been saved had this. Uh, law been in, in had you know had the people known that it would be okay to call. I have, and unfortunately, uh, in any of those scenes that you've gone to where that phone call wasn't made in a timely manner, um, are actually um, very difficult to deal with. Only because when you get there and see that there maybe had been the potential for um, that life to be saved, if someone would have been moved or prompted to make that phone call. Um, it, it's very difficult, and it's very difficult for families to have to deal with as well. Um, unfortunately, I've been on some of those where a, an individual was left in a motel room and the friends, uh, friends, quote-unquote, mm-hmm. uh, made the phone call after the fact. Most mm-hmm. of those were um, drug-related primarily but also had an alcohol component to them. Most of those overdose situations that we've been to end up being more along the lines of polysubstance rather than just um, mm-hmm. You know, a specific. So sure. certainly alcohol is part of that component there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's a matter of the party that, um, uh, you know, just didn't stop for people. And they were many times just afraid to make that phone call for fear of shedding some light on their own behavior. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a result, um, what you found is that um, even before they did finally make that phone call, sometimes after they've even left their friend there, um, they've also tried some preliminary measures of, uh, putting someone in the shower, or trying to awaken them, or you know any other types of things that c- clearly were not going to work, mm-hmm. uh, that person needed medical attention, and I think that that's one of the things that I'm hopeful that this will address with the educational part mm-hmm. is that um, you know it is important to try to save that life and, and do the best you can and do the right thing. 
RJ and Justin, how? What, speaking of education as part of this process, what are you guys, your organizations, doing to help people know that hey, this is a potentially life-threatening situation, and if not life-threatening, it still you know danger is, is involved. Do you give people warning signs, or um, you know how do they know when it's time to call? Sure. Well, I mean, I think the, the biggest first step was uh, something called Culture of Care Week, which happened uh, in mid-April this year, and it's, it's now going to be a recurring event that we're, we're confronting these issues head on. We're confronting substance abuse. We're confronting the uh, overuse of alcohol. And, and during that whole week, we gave out uh, flyers that had all of these startling statistics of this many people die you know, per year on college campuses. I think it's um, 1,100, 11, 11, that, that number sticks out to me, die mm-hmm. either every year or every decade on college campuses just because of alcohol overconsumption. So just confronting, you know, when e- even the smallest things of if you're not going to make the call, which we advise against, you know, how to how to turn the person over so that they're mm-hmm. they're not going to asphyxiate on their mm-hmm. own. Um, yeah, so we, we've tried a little bit with the Culture of Care Week. But. Yeah, uh, on, on campus, um, you know, there are Many resources through the health center. Um, the uh, counseling psychological services has a, a program called Crimson Core. The um, uh, also through the health center, alcohol and drug intervention. Um, alcohol. I, I get the acronyms confused, but the ADIC, alcohol drug intervention center, um, the residence halls. Just a lot of uh, proactive information out there. These are the warning signs that you should look for. Um, you know, and, and then how to intervene. So there's mm-hmm. a lot of things that happen, starting with orientation when students come, um, be, which begins, I think, uh, next week yeah. um, with the new students. There's conversations about what to do when students are, when you observe somebody is in a situation they need help. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of proactive resources that are out there on campus, um, this being um, a good reactive what to do in the moment. And I assume then now this law, this new law, is going to be rolled into all of that information at orientation mm-hmm. and all the other health center efforts and everything else. That's so. right. It's becoming uh, much more infused into what we talk about in, um, in, in our bystander intervention efforts. Yes, absolutely. Well, should save a lot of broken hearts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Joe? I think that um, when we're talking about the educational component, I can't stress how important that would be from our perspective. And I think that not only the Indiana Lifeline Law, but also the changes that have taken place or will cha- take place July 1st for the public intoxication law make it critical that everybody understands that there are several components of this that have to be met. Um, This isn't simply I make a phone call from down the street, as I described previously, um, and hope that I'm off the hook because that's not going to be true. There are certain requirements as part of the lifeline law that have to be met you know, such as that person has to provide their full name. Uh, they have to um, remain on the scene, and they also have to uh, cooperate with authorities once they get there to try to address the problem that they've called about. So be really open and honest. When the police ask you questions uh, and are trying to help you, what has this person had to drink or what kind of drugs has this person done, you really need to answer honestly. Exactly. There, there are and be some a part ob- of the solution. There are some obligations placed on the person if they want to use this law to their advantage. And, mm-hmm. and that's um, one of the things that I think needs to be stressed as part of that educational part, mm-hmm. um, just to make sure that everybody knows that um, – you know, again, that there are certain obligations that have to be met mm-hmm. if you hope to use this law to shield you from any type of criminal prosecution. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, my, my concern is that people are going to say, you know, when the authorities get there, you know, you can't touch me. You right, can't right, do this. Right, you right. can't do that. That probably in itself is not going to uh, lend itself to a very, uh, you know, uh, hospitable conversation with the <laughs> right. officer. Well, or probably not, not going to have a good outcome. Yeah, <laughs> and that's not the time that you want to be explaining this law. Exactly. I mean, you need answers and you need them fast. So I can say right. that that would be again, it's yeah. the medical situation that we're trying to address and yeah. trying to get this person the help that they need. Yeah, yeah. and we make that point um, too in the outreach efforts that uh, you know the students have taken out and. Um, and through our office is the importance of calling 911 and getting help and not uh, taking uh, a student into your car and then trying to navigate your way to the hospital and, and hope that you're going to then be okay. Really, the, the important thing to get across is you, know, you need to call and get medical assistance. Uh, that, those, that time is just too important. Yeah. I guess that brings up another follow-up question, too. I mean, what if, what if that student gets in the car uh, with a really, really – drunk and out-of-control person, somebody that, that he or she's really worried about, drives to the emergency room, uh, maybe even calls and says, I'm heading to the emergency room, gets there, clearly has driven while drunk. Mm-hmm. There is an immunity from driving while drunk, is there? No. no. I didn't think so. No. Yeah. 
It's only public intoxication, um, and I believe minor in possession of alcohol. I think there's those are the only two. Lo- so if if a police officer's on the scene trying to help, and you punch the police officer, you're not shielded from that. <laughs> you're, you're, I wouldn't uh, imagine. Captain so. Walters, I'm sure you like that one. Uh, you're not shielded from ha- possessing any kind of. Um, non-alcoholic substance. So any yeah. illegal drugs aren't part of this. If you've, right. got, if you've got pot or anything else that's not right. legal, you're still... Right. Yeah. It doesn't excuse the So throw that away before you... Well, within the, within the campus policy, um, it does protect from, um, from any kind of judicial action. Not, not protect against, but it does mitigate the consequences come, arising from either alcohol or drug um, possession or use. Mm-hmm. But that, that's not the way the state, statewide policy works. Mm-hmm. Okay, so someone does this. Let's they, they call for a friend. Let's say, as is often the case, there is more than just alcohol involved. Um, there probably be some uh, involvement with either BPD or um, IUPD based on the location mm-hmm. of the incident. Right. So they're going to deal with it with the law and mm-hmm. the judicial system, but then they'll also have to deal with it. What with the dean of students? Yes, or? through the uh, through the dean of students office. And again, we would look at the. Um, the, the situation is totality. You know, so we uh, cases that we hear always have a police report accompanying. So you look at everything that's occurred and everybody that's involved. And then um, on the campus level, as this intersects, it's, um, it becomes a mitigating circumstance. Is the way we say it. You know, you did the right thing and you called. So um, mm-hmm. you know that that, that weighs heavily. Um, but then you take into account you know past behavior. And if the student has a history of these types of things, you know, then mm-hmm. you know there's still discretion uh, at the dean of students for how to handle that situation. Mm-hmm. And then I know that there's. Uh, um, IU has a legal student le- legal services. Can you uh, use a, an attorney from student legal services to help you in a situation like that, or are you is the onus on you to, to uh, hire your own attorney? Well, uh, as it intersects with the city, I didn't believe you have to find your own attorney. And then on campus, we have the student advocates office who would go w- with a uh, kind of the university ombudsman who would sit with a student through the judicial process on campus. Mm-hmm. Okay. Interesting. All right. Our phone numbers again are 855-0811 in Bloomington, 877-285-9348 outside of the Bloomington calling area. The web address is wfiu.org slash noon edition. We're talking about um, Indiana's new lifeline law, and we'll be right back. This is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville, information at smithville.net, and from Premier Ortho, online at mypremierortho.com. You can take WFIU with you by downloading podcasts directly to your PC, Mac, or MP3 player. Programs such as Noon Edition, Ask the Mayor, and Harmonia, and short features like Kinsey Confidential, the Ether Game Musical Mini Quiz, and Play and Opera Reviews are all available on demand. Pick them up at WFIU.org. And have you heard WFIU's news features? The WFIU News Team brings you expanded and in-depth reports on topics affecting South Central Indiana. Catch the Friday feature just after 8.30 during Morning Edition, just before Noon Edition, and at 5.45 during All Things Considered. They're also archived on our website, WFIU.org. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Salzberg from the Herald Times, along with Mary Catherine Carmichael. Uh, we are talking about Indiana's Lifeline Law today with three guests, Justin Kingsolver, the outgoing student body president at Indiana University, uh, Joe Qualters, captain of the Bloomington Police Department Detective Division, and R.J. Woodring, assistant director for IU's Student Life and Learning. If you have questions or comments, please phone us at 855-0811 in Bloomington or 877 9348. The web address is wfiu.org slash noon edition. I did want to mention that uh, Sunday will be the uh, one year since Lauren Spear disappeared in, in uh, downtown Bloomington. And we, uh, you know, we know that's a story that's going to get a lot of uh, attention this weekend. Captain Qualters 
uh, and the Bloomington Police Department issued a, a statement yesterday that uh, will be their only statement on the matter. So uh, you might as well not try to get Joe to say anything on the air today. Uh, but I did want to ask uh, RJ and Justin about that case in terms of, of was that in your mind when you were putting together you know, this lifeline law and uh, the activities. Sure. So we, we first started, uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, you know, down this path in March of 2011. Um, and to the extent, obviously, that case couldn't have been on our minds at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, but cases like that were the reasons that, that we wanted to do this, cases where there was a lot of uh, potentially, I mean, what we know of it, cases where there was, um, you know, the potential to call for help for someone that needed it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, so obviously cases like that were in our minds. And then when that happened, um, that kind of they gave a lot more attention to this issue of creating a culture of care, creating a uh, an environment that that people were comfortable taking care of their friends. And throughout this whole process, uh, I guess some of our biggest advocates were uh, Mr. and Mrs. Spear. You know, they they wrote a letter uh, for us um, to the House and Senate Judiciary Committees, asking them to to pass this kind of law because something like this could have helped in that case. Mm-hmm. And I think even just today, they were on the Today Show, and they were asked, you know, what can we as a society do to prevent things like this? And they said, you know, more states should adapt or adopt measures like Indiana did with the Lifeline Law. So mm-hmm. yeah, they were definitely involved, but it, they weren't the, the inspiration for it. But cases like that are, are the reason why we did it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it gave a lot of momentum to the initiative that the students were taking out because, you know, um, Initially, when you look at something like this, it's like, well, you would hope that somebody in, in a situation would step up and say something or do something and intervene. Um, and, you know, when um, Lauren disappeared, it gave uh, – it highlighted the fact that, that that doesn't always happen and that something needs to uh, to be done to at least empower students to feel like they should or they could if they're not thinking of it themselves. So if they've got that fear that they're going to get themselves in trouble or tangled up into a larger mess, um, you know, this could mitigate that. And it really highlighted it can happen here. Mm-hmm. So, Here's a comment that came in uh, online. It says, Captain Qualters talked about the prevalence of polysubstance being a factor in overdose cases. Then why does Lifeline Law only cover alcohol possession? They may want to go ahead. I, it would only be speculation on my part, maybe perhaps because it was put forth primarily by you know college students or uh, a situation that was addressed with college campuses. Um, the other part might be, again, speculation on my part, might be that there is still clearly that distinction between drug use and abuse versus alcohol. Uh, alcohol being seen as maybe socially more acceptable, maybe more prevalent on a college campus, since, again, this is where this came from, uh, rather than the actual drug use. Um, You know, that being said, again, I I would just like to emphasize that if we are called to a medical situation, you know, we are going to do our best to get that person the help that they need. Um, Mm -hmm. Might there be a subsequent investigation if it's drug-related? Probably so. Um, because it's obviously that situation that contributed to the medical um, problem that that person is suffering. But again, I think probably because it's uh, come from a college campus uh, and and those around the state of Indiana, that's probably why those provisions were included in this bill. Justin, did you feel like that that was going to be your only chance of getting the bill passed is if you stuck it or kept yeah, they limited it to alcohol. Exactly. They say that there are two things you don't want to watch, lawmaking and sausage making. And this was just, <laughs> I mean, pragmatically, when you, I mean, it's already a hot enough topic when you're talking about underage consumption of, of alcohol. When you add underage or any kind of use of, of illegal substances that are, are not alcohol, uh, that just inflames the issue even more. Mm-hmm. Uh, in my mind, we, I still remember the, the conference call where we made that decision to just pursue um, you know, alcohol, because in, in the Purdue policy and in the IU policy, uh, it, drugs are, are covered. But uh, we, we knew that this was a necessary first step, and we could always come back next year um, if the student governments decided to to try to get drugs added to this. Mm-hmm. But we thought we could pass it with uh, with overwhelming majorities with alcohol, but we weren't 100 uh, percent with drugs. So I think that choice paid off. I think we had 47 in the Senate and 96 in the House, no opposed in any committee or, or House or Senate vote. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. It was a, a political decision <laughs> at some points. Good lesson, huh? Yeah. <laughs> what are you going to do next year? I'm going to law school Is at the po- University of Politics Michigan. in your future? Um, 
it, it might have been, but I don't know. It's 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 a tough, tough, tough Should work, be. definitely. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Again, our phone number is 855-811-877-285-9348. The web address, org slash Noon Edition. I want to talk about uh, the alcohol issue just in general, the, um, you know, the the amount of drinking that does go on. And I guess I'll I, – I, from Joe's perspective, I mean, you've, you have been on the Bloomington Police Department for how long? 25 years. 25 years. Um, has there been a change that you've seen? And if so, what's it been in terms of the amount of alcohol that you see? Well, I would have to admit that it has been some time that I've actually worked in uniform on the street. It's uh, mostly been either investigations or even now more administrative. Um, however, it does seem from some, <coughs> some of the case reports that I've read or my interactions with um, uh, Mr. Keller out of the uh, dean's office who also serves with me on the uh, Monroe County Drug Treatment Court, um, you know, we've had some discussions about uh, what seems to be not only the prevalence but also the higher uh, BACs that are coming mm-hmm. from those mm-hmm. uh, who have been consuming. And you're right, Bob. I mean, uh, for those of us who have been to college, um, you know, underage drinking and, you know, consumption and that type of thing is not a new phenomenon. Mm-hmm. I think what seems to be of concern to a lot of people is um, not only the, um, you know, the more of the prevalence, perhaps, um, but also the higher BACs that are coming with it. Um, and I think that there's also some concern about how there's been kind of a shift in gender as well, where it's not just limited to uh, the males or the guys or the fraternity guys or, you know, that type of thing, um, that there are more and more, mm-hmm. you know, female students who are consuming just as much as the males are. And I think that that's um, – a discussion that's been had and certainly something that's, uh, you know, worthy of consideration. Well, and I think the alcohol consumption comes also in terms of the amount of alcohol that a 200-pound man can consume versus a 120-pound woman and still be coherent is it's just a different thing. Mm-hmm. We're striking fear into the hearts of thousands of parents who are listening right now, <laughs> right. I'm sure. Well, I, I, we shouldn't be. No, no, no. And you can You're explain not a parent, why in a minute. kid. <laughs> <laughs> but, what, but, you know, I've done several editorials about this in the last few years, and one of the things that strikes me is I'll, I'll read, you know, in our paper uh, a case report from Joe's department or, you know, I, Keith Cash's department that says this student was registered at point three two or something mm-hmm. like that as a blood alcohol content, BAC. And, you know, if you look up what that means, it means that the person was like – it was like having a surgical anesthetic. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's – Aren't they flammable at that level? <laughs> pretty much. I mean, that's just crazy. But, and, you know, and, and there, that's not that uncommon. Mm-hmm. I understand it. I think uh, just uh, anecdotally, and what we've observed over the last few years is exactly what Captain Coulter was just saying. You know, alcohol is not a new issue on campus, but what is um, frightening is the the higher level BACs and then the, the frequency with which we are seeing them. And they're not so much as isolated, or you might see one or two uh, at that point two eight or point three level, but that they're that they're more common, and not that they're you know. Um, all over the place. I don't want to give sure. that misconception either, but just that there's a higher frequency of those more intoxicated students, right, and, and I that's think the, concerning. The, yeah, the other thing that maybe I, I can't say as, as well as the other two guys who have a lot more experience with this, but what I've been told is that there's been a, a big shift from, I guess, beer consumption to uh, consumption of vodka and other, other hard alcohols that take a lot less to achieve a lot higher result. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, as somebody who, you know, just was a part of IU's you know, Greek culture and, and mm-hmm. social culture in general. Um, in the fa- past four years, I've seen a lot more handles at parties than I have seen cans of beer. Yes. And I think I, I don't know how to address that. I know the dean of students' office and, and IUPD are trying to address it, but that's a, a tough one to. And for those of us in, the, in our generation, a handle is like one of those big bottles of vodka that comes with a handle, right? Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. So it's a, a shift then from beer consumption to. Cocktails. We've gotten into the cocktail culture. Right. Yeah. And I'm not even sure that you could limit it to the cocktails, which almost implies a more of a social setting and that type of thing. But I think the the bigger concern would be the harder alcohol being used as part of the other word that uh, is not, again, something new as part of this discussion. That is the binge drinking. Mm -hmm. And that is, you know, it's not using the harder liquors as part of a mixed drink. It's using some of those harder liquors as part of the multiple shots that might be done. Mm-hmm. Well, it's uh, more efficient the, than as beer. Part of, as, mm-hmm. And, well, and it's, it's probably cheaper it. at home. <laughs> yeah. So you almost front load before you actually go out to your next 
social engagement, whether it be the bar, the party, or whatever. Mm-hmm. All right, we have a phone call. Let's go to DJ on the phone. DJ? Yes. Uh, first of all, uh, this is for uh, Justin and the gentleman from Student Life and Learning. And talking to Justin, I'm probably sure we're talking to the next mayor or governor of Indiana. <laughs> so, I hope not. Right. I saw a film at the IU Cinema um, last fall, and it's called Booze and Use, and it's about responsible alcohol use. And it uh, um, was done by Ruth Engs, Dr. Ruth Engs, who's a retired professor at IU. And it presents it in a humorous manner. It features uh, W.C. Fields, and I'm actually reading from the website at IU Cat, IU Library. And it's something that you might want to show, I guess, during um, student life and learning sessions and all the things that you were talking about and orientation and all that. They might, they might get some use out of it. What's, what's the main message in there? Uh, the main message is be responsible. It shows uh, what can happen if you drink too much. It says limit your drinks to one per hour. Uh, it shows consequences of over-drinking and things like that. So they're kind of similar issues to what you guys were talking about. If someone wants to look that up, how do you spell the use? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, <laughs> why? Because we, I think they had it at Y-O-U-Z-E. That's what I wrote down. That was my yeah. instinct. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that makes sense. W.C. Field. But I, the catalog has it as... Y-O-U apostrophe S. Great. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I wrote that down, and that, that actually um, speaks to the, the prevalence and the, the longevity of the issue with W.C. Fields playing a role in that film. You know, that it's a constant problem and a constant message of the importance of being responsible with alcohol. Mm-hmm. All right. yeah, Justin, yeah, I, I think that the, the, the broader message that he brings up is you, know, you have to know the audience. I mean, if you use humor to get to, to college students, they're much more likely to listen to you. Mm-hmm. And there's a, there's a new campaign. I forget what office it is. I think it's someone within the Division of Student Affairs that's created this thing called the Street Smart Campaign, mm-hmm. which I'm not sure if you've seen the, the buses seen that have it, been yeah. plastered. But, mm-hmm. You know, we have uh, – they're rolling out um, – I guess getting to students where they are, uh, the little um, what are those called coasters yeah. at the bars, and uh, just just funny things like I think one of the <clears throat> the advertisements has a plastic giraffe laying down in the middle of the street um, and saying you've had one too many long necks or something, <laughs> just kind of that 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 kitschy little humor you know that that uh-huh. really gets gets uh-huh. to the heart of of my generation. We like to be entertained, and if you can entertain students and give them that positive message in the way that the the college just said, I think that's a really good. So idea. you're you're endorsing that uh, particular campaign, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, oh, that's actually good. been a really big hit with the, the students. IU Communications and then working with uh, Dean Goldsmith, the dean of students, working um, with the student leaders uh, who sit on his dean's advisory board. You know, they ran that um, through them, and the students really took to it. Um, uh-huh. So yeah. it's been a big hit. Yeah, All right. Uh, if I can say this, this is only 15 minutes, and it's in 16 millimeter, but I'm sure they, they have a DVD of it. So uh, <laughs> you might check that. But I have a question. Uh, can you tell us about the effectiveness of the so-called drunk bus, and is it going to be continued to use, and how effective is it, and that kind of stuff? Thanks. Okay, thank yeah, you, I, DJ. I think uh, I know the new student government, uh, the new student body president, his name is Kyle Straub, and one of the things that he ran on, his biggest platform, was that he wants to create a 24-7, no questions asked, sober ride system. He, I, I don't know exactly how he's going to do it, but the, the problem that we encountered with that is that um, the, the so-called drunk bus really can't be a drunk bus because you can't be intoxicated and use it, and it only runs until 11 o'clock at night on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. So mm-hmm. it's not a drunk bus. Um, maybe, it, maybe it was in the past, but, I mean, what, the, the biggest problem that we've seen is, you know, we have this stigma against, well, we don't want to endorse underage drinking. I, I agree, we don't. Mm-hmm. But we have to figure out a way to get people from Kirkwood to uh, wh- wherever they're going home, whether it's mm-hmm. a fraternity or sorority or an off-campus house, and we have to do that in a, a safe and responsible manner. So I think that's something that we as a community with all of these stakeholders at the table have to figure out. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thank you, DJ. All Thanks right. a lot for the call. Thanks. Our numbers again are 855-0811-877-285-9348. The web address is wfiu.org slash noon edition. I want to talk about that, getting people from downtown to wherever they're going, because I know um, I've heard this complaint, and I guess Cap- I would guess Captain Qualters has too, that some kids who will be walking home very intoxicated will run afoul of uh, Bloomington <laughs> Police Department. And it's like, wait, dude, I'm walking home because I'm too drunk. W- why is it an issue uh, often when kids are walking home? What's, 
the, the public intoxication portion of it? Most of it has to do with the fact that uh, if you are simply walking home, you are probably not going to um, draw the attention of the officer. It's usually the behaviors that go with that walking, um, whether that be hanging on trees, breaking tree limbs, breaking car mirrors. Um, Vomiting in flower beds. Exactly. Or urinating in public. Mm -hmm. Something like Mm -hmm. that that draws Mm -hmm. attention to yourself. So you may have started out with the intentions of simply walking home, but something that you did drew the attention Mm -hmm. of the officer and they felt compelled to take action. Um, You know, uh, there have been some changes or will be some changes in the public intoxication law Mm -hmm. that will also take effect on um, July 1st. And that is um, there will be some other requirements that have to be met for that public intoxication um, statute to be enforced against someone. Uh, You you have to show that you're um, it's either endangering the life of the person or someone else's. Uh, You're about to breach the peace or you have or you've harassed, annoyed, or alarmed someone. And again, I think that's critical for the educational component as well because people think that they cannot be arrested for public intoxication. Matter of fact, when this was finally passed, um, before it becomes law in July, there were a lot of questions that came up about, you know, you know, can somebody be arrested? Yes. Um, and, and my guess would be that on most if not all of these cases that we've made arrests on previously, most of the components of these changes are already present. Mm -hmm. Um, All it will require is better articulation on the part of the officer as to which component of the changes in the statute were present at the time the arrest was made. Okay, Okay, so here's a scenario. Let's say uh, somebody's walking home, they're drunk, They, you do happen to witness, one of your officers who's on patrol happens to witness them urinating in public, up against a tree, let's say, um, he has interaction with the, we'll call it a guy, well, he has interaction with the guy, we'll call it a hopefully. Guy. <laughs> well, like the tree thing kind of yeah, yeah, way. Yeah. Anyway, so, um, <laughs> so uh, he, he does uh, determine that the kid is drunk. Uh, do you we'll ever, call it a kid. Yeah, we'll call it a kid. Do you ever um, do you ever give somebody a ride home? Let's say they were very cooperative with the officer, didn't didn't try to create a problem, and just said, "Yeah, you know, I'm trying to get home, but I couldn't make it. I had to I had to pee, and 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 you know, I'm I'm only six blocks from home, or or whatever. Um, how 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 can that be handled? Probably our first course of action would try to determine if we can either get a friend or somebody to come pick them up or if we can find a cab that might be able to take them home. Um, you know, and, and again, if you're talking about somebody that's just a few blocks from home, um, you know, again, we're going to – making arrests is not a numbers game for us. Um, trying to keep someone safe is clearly one of the uh, responsibilities that we have. We recognize the type of community that we live in, and by virtue of that, it's kind of inherent that we're going to, um, you know, try to – take care of that function of our job as well. Uh, So again, I mean, there are some alternatives. Uh, That being said, again, many times it kind of depends upon the reaction that we get from the person that we've encountered. Mm -hmm. Uh, If they become argumentative, if they, um, uh, you know, if they steer the conversation or, uh, you know, towards something other than our efforts to get them Mm -hmm. home safely, Mm -hmm. then of course we have the other alternative that we fall back on, and that is making arrest. Are you allowed to give somebody a ride home? We can under certain circumstances. I mean, uh, you know, we always have to be concerned as well from a liability perspective about what if that person then becomes sick or ill in our car. Right. Um, And then, uh, you know, so again, um, you know, for just in the future lawyer i mean we can we can thank them for some of the uh uh just kidding i mean for some of the some, some of the things that we have to be careful of right um but i think if you could take it by a case-by-case basis and make some determination about what's going to be the best thing to do what's going to be the most efficient thing to do then we certainly have that and it's going to come down to officer discretion yeah because as a citizen i'd like to think if a kid is walking home drunk does something silly but not malicious um, that really any police interaction is, is purely going to be helpful and not punitive. There are alternatives that can be considered on a case-by-case basis as to what's the most appropriate thing to do in that circumstance. We had a video uh, during Little Five weekend of one of the excise police officers who had given a, a warning to a person. It was a 20-year-old driving uh, a vehicle where to Big Red and somebody had picked up alcohol, got in the vehicle, and the law says now – can't do that, right? Mm-hmm. The 20-year-old can be charged as well. 
had been had given a warning and was walking away, and the twenty one year old started yelling at him at the officer. Oh, you know about, a good idea. about I'm twenty one. I can buy this alcohol if I want. And it was like, whoops, time out. I think I'm going to tear that warning up, and you're getting a ticket. So. I've had a number of people that have talked themselves into jail when my objective was just the opposite when I encountered them. Right. Okay. Eight five five zero eight one one is the local number. Eight seven seven two eight five nine three four eight. The web address is wfiu.org slash noon edition. We have about ten minutes to go. We're talking about uh, alcohol issues, really, based on the Indiana Lifeline Law. I wanted to uh, ask Justin, who just uh, completed. Uh, college his his term is the IU outgoing uh, he's the IU outgoing student body president and also RJ who works a lot with students about you know in- encounters that you've had in which you think you may have um, maybe gotten some sort of educational message across to one of your friends or colleagues who just wasn't getting it you know drinking too many shots doing whatever I mean if you had to sort of step in at some point. Sure. I mean, I mean, from a more organizational perspective, and RJ, you can stop me mm-hmm. if I am saying too much. I don't think I am. Um, the, there was an incident earlier this year, I think it was in December, with Kappa Sigma, um, mm-hmm. where they had a, a, an individual that had a very high, dangerously high blood alcohol content and was taken to the hospital, attempted to use Hoosier Pact, but there were other circumstances where that didn't happen. And the, the president and a lot of the senior leadership of that fraternity are close friends of ours from student government. And I mean, I witnessed a, a very stark shift in, in their behavior because when something like that happens where you have one of your best friends that's near death, I mean, that, that's a shock to an entire community. Um, so, I mean, I haven't – I can't think of a time when I've gone and taken a shot away from someone. Maybe throughout this process it's made me reconsider my own you know, personal habits and those of, of those people around me. And I think that by us setting this example that, you know, we, we're – working with administrators, and they're willing to take this, this mm-hmm. massive step forward for us. I mean, this is a huge step for Dean Goldsmith to have taken with Hoosier Pact. This is a huge step that, mm-hmm. that our law enforcement and our, our, our government have, have placed within, um, I guess, our age group. And if we don't meet that with the, the same kind of expectations, with the same kind of uh, responsibility that they've said that we're capable of, then, then we're not going to see anything like this in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a huge... Um, responsibility aspect um, you know that we all share in uh, you know we want the students to come and be successful and you know, obviously graduate and, and, and you know get their degrees and move on and have productive lives as lawyers like Justin will uh, and these situations are going to come up and you know it's it's not you know, uh, there's a serious responsibility of, okay, you know, not just telling you what you've done wrong and punishing you, but then how can you do things right and be better and improve the situation going forward? Um, so an instance of success stories that we get anecdotally is as, uh, as administrators, we, we share all these resources and, you know, we, we try to educate students. But when we hear stories about, um, you know, a, a student whose friend was um, – you know, clearly having an alcohol issue and they walk them to the health center or they took uh, somebody who is having some mental health issues to the health center. So they actually took action themselves and went and got help. Um, those are those are the stories that are you know, a little more heartwarming and encouraging that, okay, we're actually doing the right thing. You know, we hear these big stories like the fraternity incident Justin was referring to, um, but just as often in our office we get stories where students have taken the action because of our our, our sharing of resources and get, coaching them and helping them find the right way to do it has been effective. Well, I, you know, I don't want to sound like a prude, but I suppose I will. I, I'd like to get all three of your reaction to things like the uh, area, the tailgate area uh-huh. outside of Memorial Stadium and uh, a couple of uh, bars that shall remain nameless, one in particular that opens at, you know, 7, 8 o'clock on a football morning or mm-hmm. encourages, it seems to me, encourages big crowds to come and start drinking alcohol at times when most people wouldn't really think about it. Um, you know, are those are those things becoming uh, things that maybe should be regulated in some way? Or, or I don't know how you even do regulate it except for you know sending a bunch of officers through the tailgate village or parking them outside of the bars that open at 7 in the morning. Just reaction, Justin? Sure. I mean, I think those are two different um, instances. With the bars, they're, they're catering to a demand. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I can't fault Kilroy's or, or sports for being open because I know a lot of people that go mm-hmm. to have breakfast there and uh, then they you know start drinking. They're catering to 
a behavior, mm-hmm. and they, they would they're not they're not causing that behavior. But with with the tailgate issue, I know that that's something that um, the interfraternity council is a good the interfraternity council president is a good friend of mine, and I know that's something they've tried to take a proactive approach. How can we do this better? Because mm-hmm. this just kind of looks bad for us to mm-hmm. have you know thirty handles per fraternity. And, I mean, it is fun. You know, tailgating is fun, having loud music and being paired with a sorority and, and meeting all these new people and being excited about just being a Hoosier. That in and of itself is one of the main reasons why – one of the main fun reasons of being a student. But, uh-huh. you know, the, the outrageous, <laughs> outrageous drinking that goes along with that, um, you know, where you have – People throwing, literally throwing uh, handles in the air and just sh- showering people with, uh-huh. with vodka. You know, that kind of stuff needs to change. And I know that students are taking a proactive approach right now in trying to figure out a solution to how we can, I guess, better represent ourselves. Because mm-hmm. we know that they're you're – I don't think you're being approved by saying that. <laughs> no, I, mean, no, I know yeah. that every person that drives down, uh, I think it's 17th Street mm-hmm. on game uh-huh. day, they see that. And uh-huh. I've thought many times while I was standing there, would I want my grandparents – on that street uh-huh. looking at me doing this or looking at my community doing this because we're, we're better than we are we would be perceived as being on that day. Uh-huh. So, so some things need to change, but I think students uh-huh. working with administrators are trying to do it. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think, um, you know, we've, Justin and I have used the word or the, the phrase culture of care uh, a few times in, in our conversation this afternoon, and it's really trying to get um, that notion of students taking action and taking care of each other. Uh, and to Justin's point, um, you know, Andrew, the Interfraternity Council president, recognizes that this is a, uh, the, a problem, you know, and uh, that the um, high-risk drinking that happens in the tailgate fields, a lot of it is associated with fraternities and I mean, it's very clear they're wearing their letters, they're right off front, um, and they're not comfortable with it. So a, a hope or an outcome would be just like we're having this conversation today because of the leadership Justin took last year to, with this initiative on the Lifeline Law that, you know, uh, in another year after this uh, group has taken an initiative and uh, made some presentations, again, the fraternity leaders, uh, how to uh, improve, you know, the, the tailgate field setting, we'd be having a different conversation that maybe it's not as bad as it used to be. You know, the culture surrounding cigarette smoking has changed dramatically. In, in the last 10 years. Um, it used to be a much more widely accepted practice. Um, do you foresee or hope to foresee a similar culture shift in regard to alcohol consumption? I, I, I don't know. I mean, mo- most people in my generation just don't think it's cool to smoke. I mean, it's, it's disgusting. And we, we've been told that since we were, you know, five. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know how that could happen with alcohol just because it's so much of a part of our culture right now. But Maybe I'm just reflecting my my lack of experience. No, it's an honest answer. It's a great Uh answer, RJ. Yeah, I I guess, uh, yeah, I I kind of... On the same page with Justin, I would hope if there was going to be a stigma to it, it would be the stigma to the binge drinking and all the pushing that's been, you know the push that's been towards that. You know, the uh, Captain Qualters referred to it earlier. You know, when students are drinking before they go out to the bars because it's cheaper. You know, and they you know call it pre gaming or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Uh, that perhaps that might be tampered down a bit. Um, but you know, that's. I think the only thing that we could hope to accomplish along the lines of the cigarette or tobacco thing would be moderation. Mm-hmm. I think I think that would be about our only goal that we could hope to accomplish as it relates to the use of alcohol. Okay. We are out of time. I want to thank our guests today, Justin Kingsolver, Captain Joe Qualters of the Bloomington Police Department, and R.J. Woodring, or Mary Catherine Carmichael, producers Gretchen Frazee and Julie Ra, and engineer Mike Pashkash. I'm Bob Salzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. Also, Premier Ortho, a division of Premier Healthcare, helping people living with injuries and chronic back, spine, or joint pain to get back on their feet. Premier Ortho, 333-1933, online at mypremierortho.com.